Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, please, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And if you find verse 13 with me, we'll read to the end of the chapter. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It was a normal Tuesday morning. I got up at 5am, went for my jog, lifted some weights, as you can see, and then had a shower. At 6am I sat down to read and pray. At 7am I went to work to get a head start on my day, a busy week. At 8.23am my mobile phone rang. The number that appeared on the screen was foreign to me and usually I would not answer my phone before work hours. However, on this occasion, for some reason, I decided to take the call and it was my wife. She'd been driving her car around a dangerous corner in Cathkin when the vehicle came off the road. She overcompensated at the wheel and ricocheted off several trees before the car came to a stop. The voice on the other end of the phone was broken, soft and desperate. At that moment, my mind was flooded with all thoughts, all kinds of thoughts. Would my wife live? How can I go on without her? What will happen to the ministry and the church? What will I tell her parents who I promised to protect her? I rushed out of the office and got in the car to go to my wife's side. I broke numerous speed rules, which I asked the Lord to forgive me for. And my adrenaline was at an all-time high. A journey that normally takes ten minutes took me five. I arrived at the scene and one look at the car assured me that this was a serious accident. There was almost no boot on the back of our vehicle at all. And most of the contents of the car were strewn across the road and the embankment. My wife was sitting in the car of a woman who had pulled over to help her. She was badly shaken up. I'd never seen her like this before. Shock had set in and she was shivering. I hugged her and assured her that everything would be all right, although I had no idea whether it would be or not. After a little while, the ambulance arrived. Jessica was immediately transported to the ambulance where the paramedics checked her vital signs. I was asked to remain outside. It was in this moment, as I looked at all the debris, the written-off vehicle, the police car, the ambulance, 
the flashing lights and my wife lying in the back of the emergency vehicle that I was confronted with the brevity of life. The policeman came over to me and said, she is one lucky girl, one metre to the left or the right and you would be planning a funeral. Although his words were not particularly comforting, I knew he was right. Jessica had escaped narrowly death. And by God's providence and power, my wife is sitting with us today, virtually unharmed. As a family, we have been reminded that life is uncertain. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. And with this fresh illustration in my mind, I want to preach a message on this subject, keeping life in perspective. Heavenly Father, this, uh, I believe, is what you would have for me to share this morning Though I don't want this to be all about uh, myself or Jessica or the circumstances of this last week, I am thankful for that illustration that you have given to us that we might remember just how short life is and that for to me to live is Christ. Uh, Lord, we often forget, we often presume upon your grace. We go day by day through the the motions of uh, our uh, to-do lists and So often we forget about you. We forget about what matters. And I'm thankful, Lord, for stopping us in our tracks this week. And I pray that you would also help us as a congregation to see just how important it is to understand the brevity of life, to understand that we have limited time to serve and honour you. Lord, might we make it worth the while. I pray, Lord, you'd help us today to see these truths. I pray that you wouldn't let this just be um, about what has happened to us, but help us to transcend that circumstance and understand what the Bible is teaching here in this book of James. Help us to ask, what is our life? And answer it, it is a vapour, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. I pray you'd help me for these next few moments to share the thoughts that are on my heart and that are in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see, first of all, this morning from this particular text, the immediate future is unknown, and in brackets, to us. The immediate future is unknown, in brackets, to us. Look at verse 13 of our text, James chapter 4 and verse 13. The author writes, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. The background here is that this particular author, James, is writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered abroad through the dispersion and persecution at this particular time. We see that in James chapter 1 and verse 1. And these verses that form our text this morning are a warning They're a warning about excluding God from our plans, operating with presumption. If we are honest, if we take a good look at ourselves, as I have this last few days taken a good look at my own heart, the reality of it is we often think, even though it may not be active, certainly passively, we think that we are omniscient, that we're all-knowing. That we're omnipotent, that is, we're all powerful. You say, I don't ever think that. Well, perhaps you do, because without even realising it, we are prone to believe that we're in charge of our destiny. That we're the ones who pave our way and our future. 
We go through the motions of our daily lives, fulfilling our to-do lists without a thought of God. And I am of all people most guilty. Every single day of my life, I write out a to-do list. And nearly every single day, I don't complete it. And it goes on to the next day. But I write a to-do list every single day. And I am very guilty of making my list and my calendars and my agendas and so forth and leaving God out of the picture. What we're saying this morning is that most of us, if not all of us, often operate independently of God. Now, ultimately, we can't do that. We know that God is providential, sovereign over all. But we, our mindset is we operate with independence. We assume, we presume. And like this week, for me, it's only when tragedy strikes or near tragedy experiences occur that we realize in reality our future is unknown to us we realize that we may have tied up our shoes this morning but the undertaker may untie them tomorrow that's true and at the root of this independence is presumption and at the root of presumption is pride In this text, James is not scolding the believers for making plans. There's nothing wrong with making plans. You decide, I'm going to go to that city, I'm going to go to this city, I'm going to do some business, I'm I'm going to be involved in different things. Nothing wrong with making plans. The problem is that we exclude God from those plans. We act in independence rather than dependence. That's what James' issue with God's people here is. And we need to remember that God is the only person who has access to the whole picture. Even the devil does not have omniscience. He does not know what is going to happen tomorrow. Even though he may be very skilled in the word of God and know the future from the scripture, he does not operate with omniscience. There's only one person who operates with omniscience, and that is God. He alone knows the future. Why? Because he planned it. So here's a question. Why did God build us with the inability to see the future? The answer, dependence. Dependence. God demands dependence. God delights in dependence. God wants us to be dependent upon the one who is dependable. God designed us to be fallible. He designed us to be fragile and to be dependent so that we can live out Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, which says, trust in the Lord. Not your plans, not your agendas, not your hopes, not your work, not your money. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Central truths given to us by Solomon. And this last week, I have been reminded that the immediate future is unknown to us. It was just a normal day, just another day, another Tuesday, another day when my wife goes to King Lake and does some work where I go to work and everything's just another day. But what I failed to realize at that moment in time was that there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees about any day. In fact, it's very interesting. If you go to uh, some of the commentaries and books I have in my library over there, you'll find that most commentators believe there are some six to 7,000 promises in the Bible. 
That's a lot of promises all through the Bible. But one promise that is never given is the promise of your next breath, is the promise of tomorrow, is the promise of next month. The promise of the future is there, the promise of heaven, the promise of an assurance of all that. But the promise of your next breath is not given anywhere in the whole of the scripture. In fact, the opposite is said. Do not presume upon the grace of God. Proverbs 27 verse 1, Solomon writes, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. Interestingly, on the same day, this last Tuesday, the 13th of June, everyday people, ordinary people, headed home from work to their housing flats, in the Grenfell Tower in North Kensington, West London. Hundreds of people went to bed that night, expecting to wake up like normal the following day and get on with their plans. However, at 12.54am on Wednesday morning, a fire broke out, claiming at least 30 lives so far. There are still 76 missing as of this morning at 9 o'clock, who are presumed dead. The cause of the fire remains unknown. All of these people had plans for the following day. None of them expected that they would erupt into flames. None of them expected that suddenly their whole world would change. None of those families expected that they would be attending a funeral later this week with the the charcoal image of their loved one because they're not even 100% identifiable. It does us well to remember how fragile we are. It does us well to remember that there is no guarantees of tomorrow. Today's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for me. And I guess in some ways it's me sharing my heart from the lessons that I have and am learning from this week. We do not know the future, but we do know the one who holds the future. And in that we rest. But let us... Be ever so mindful to include God in all of our plans and to exercise dependence and not presumption. Our tendency is presumption. Our tendency is pride. It is effort and our will coming in alignment with God's to actively be dependent as opposed to independent. And so the first thing I wanted us to see here was that the immediate future is unknown to us. But the second thing from this particular text follows right along is physical life is short at best. Number two, physical life is short at best. In verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes the longest of lives on the earth today are likened to a mist or a vapor i don't know if you did it this morning but if you take your kettle and you fill it up with water and you boil that kettle you will notice at the end of that cycle that there is a small wisp of vapor from its heat it is there for but seconds Perhaps a longer illustration, we might prefer it because it's a bit longer, is if you happen to live in Alexandra, you will know that when you wake up, you often can't see anything. In fact, I still can't see a whole lot out of that window over there. The mist and the fog have settled in. 
And though it's not always true for Alexandra, you come back at lunchtime or sometimes four o'clock if you're in Alexandra and the sun has finally come through and has dispelled that mist, that vapour, that fog. But even in the lengthiest times of fog and mist, our life, God compares to a vapour, a mist, something that is so short. I always find it interesting when you go through the book of Psalms, there is one particular psalm that stands out to me in a great way. And that is Psalm chapter 90, because it is written by the man Moses, the oldest psalm in our Bible. Moses wrote it and he wrote in there in verses 9 and 10, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Moses is 120, but he says, you know what? It's just like a sigh. That's our life. A fleeting moment, soon gone and we fly away. First Chronicles 29:15 says, our days on earth are as a shadow and there is none that abides. So short. I don't know if it's just that I'm getting older and I know I'm not old. Some of you look at me and say you're just a kid. But I know when I was a child, I used to think of life as, you know, it's just it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, I'm I'm 10 years old and all these people, they're 50 and 60 and 70. And I got so much time ahead of me. But as you get older, you start to realize and I mean, I'm only in my 30s, but you begin to realize that. You really don't have that much time. And not only that, even if you have your 70 or 80 years, it's nothing in the scheme of the fullness of life and eternity. It's just a drip, not even a drip. But James asks a very important question in our text here. In verse 14, he says, what is your life? What is your life? And given that life is short and there's no guarantee of tomorrow, I want to ask us something that is not directly in the text, but I believe it comes out of the text. Not simply what is your life, but what does your life consist of? James is making it clear that life is short. We don't have a lot of time here. And so I'd ask you to take inventory as I have been this week. What is your life? What is your life all about? What is your pursuits? What are you spending your time doing with this short mist of a life that God has given to you? And as we take inventory, I am sure as I have been in my own life, you will be that there are many things that we are, our attention is on and focusing on that really don't matter in the scheme of eternity. What do you deem as important in life? Is it the Lord? Or is it your own pleasures, your own goals? If we're honest, we would have to say that much of our lives, I believe, are spent in selfish pursuits. The point being made here is that life is short. Only what's done for Christ will last. And are we spending our days in the pursuit of heavenly things? Paul said, if you have been raised with Christ, if you are his, if you've been made alive by the spirit of God, if the gospel has entered into your heart and you've believed it and you are changed, he says, if you are that, you've been raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above, not those things that are below. 
Set your minds on the things that matter in eternity. On things above, not on the earth. For you have died. All of those pursuits and those goals, they're all dead. Part of the past. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, the life that you and I are living is not about you and I. Nor is it for you and I. Paul said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. You see this body, Paul says, you see me living, but it's not really me who's living. Now I have died, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in this flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, what is your life? Well, as a Christian, it ought to be what Paul said, for to me, to live is me. It's Christ. It's Christ. Physical life is short at best. Number three from our text. The third point, make plans with God in mind. Verse 15, instead, instead, Paul says, in contrast, in contrast of you living your own life, in contrast of you doing your own thing, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He says, instead of just presuming upon God's grace and acting independently, James instructs the Christian to involve God in every decision. Now, this is really hard. This is really hard because we're talking about every decision. Now, most of us, if you're like me, it's pretty easy to involve God in that situation this last Tuesday. On my way driving to that car accident scene, I was involving God. Probably more forcefully than I have involved God in many other ways. Uh, I'm saying, Lord, I don't even know what to pray, but you're in this and I need your help now. And I'm involving God. That was easy to involve God in. You know what's hard? It's hard in my everyday decisions. The moment by moment matters. The big ones as a Christian, well, we haven't got a choice I have to run to God because I've got no hope anywhere else. So I'm going to involve God in this decision. But it's the everyday minor matters that God says involve me. I'm going to go and buy and sell. I'm going to be involved in business. I'm going to do this and that. If the Lord wills, I will do this or I will do that. He is calling for constant dependence. Now, some people take this a little bit too far. And they think that this means that every sentence must begin with, if the Lord wills. That's not what James is saying here. Although he's encouraging us to say it, the point here is that my heart is dependent upon the Lord. And what I am saying, though I may not verbalize it, is if the Lord wills, I will do this. If the Lord wants me to do this, if the Lord gives me the strength and the power, I will do this for his glory, in his will, etc. Having said that, It wouldn't be a bad thing for us to say it some more because in saying it, it reminds us when someone says, hey, let's have a meeting tomorrow. We may not say, well, if the Lord wills, but we ought to think it. 
Well, I'll plan that way, Lord, if that's what you want me to do. If that's what your desire is for my life. It's to live in the realm of dependence. But I also want to take note here for a moment. If the Lord wills, that phrase is also an expression of God's sovereignty. When I have the attitude of dependence and I say, if the Lord wills, I am expressing God's sovereignty. He's in control of all things. And in operating with this attitude, I affirm God's providence in every aspect of my life. I am saying, God, if you want me to, I'll do that because you're in control. I'm not just saying I'm dependent upon you. I'm also saying you're sovereign, God. You're sovereign. And I will do as you want me to do. I will bow and bend myself underneath your sovereignty and affirm that you're in control And that I want to do what you want me to do. We affirm both our dependence and his sovereignty when we operate with if the Lord wills attitude. You see the purpose, Christian, of this life, the purpose of this life is to learn dependence. And you know the reality is that God will teach us one way or the other. Sometimes he must inflict great hurt and loss in order to break through our pride and presumption. Other times he allows Satan to pour trial upon trial so that we beg God for help. We need to remember that nothing that God ever does is with evil intent. He is never seeking to harm us for the sake of harming us. He may inflict some great burden and struggle in our life, but the purpose of that is for our good and his glory. All things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose, to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. He is working for our good and creating within us the spirit and attitude of dependence. And for some of us, who are very independent and operate with a great deal of pride, greater loss may occur in order that we become dependent, in order that we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to depend on you and your will is what I want to achieve. I don't want to be an independent person. And the Lord begins to chip away all of those aspects to which we are hanging on to in order to make us dependent. And may I just insert here, count that an incredible privilege now many times when something happens when i'm driving down the road to an accident such as that i'm not sitting there and saying thank you so much lord at this very moment for making me more dependent upon you i'm not even thinking that but the outworking of that situation ought to bring within my heart the attitude of thank you lord for allowing me to go through this trial that trial because you want me to be dependent and if i'm a christian i want to be more dependent I want to depend on the Lord. I want my pride to be removed. I want the humility of Christ to be exalted in my life that I might depend upon him and not presume upon his grace. What a hard lesson. Bringing every situation, bringing every idea, every event before the Lord in prayer is to exercise dependence upon him. I wonder, do we do that? The truth is, if we don't, the Lord will help us lovingly 
chastening us to be more dependent. Make plans with God in mind. The last thing that I'd like us to look at, I've already mentioned it in some ways. The fourth point here is presumption is pride. Verse 16 continues from this text, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. In case there was any doubt in our minds, James calls out the sin which is at the root of our independence, and that is simply pride and arrogance. You see, the most prevalent sin in every single person's life in this room and in the world, is the sin of pride. And it takes so many forms. It's not, it's not just that person who is bragging and boasting. We often call that pride, and it is. But it's, it's, all those, it's all manner of aspects that come with pride. It is presumption. It is false humility. It is all kinds of things that come into this matter of pride. It's trusting ourselves rather than trusting God. All of these things are coming from the root of pride. Every person is proud. Sanctification, therefore, is simply liberating us from ourselves and our pride in brackets and setting us apart to God. Let me say that again. Sanctification then is simply liberating us from ourselves and our pride and setting us apart to God. See, we come to Christianity with all the baggage of pride. Sanctification is God chipping away all of that in order that we would be humble and like Christ. That's what sanctification is. Pride will kill our spiritual lives. God has called us to humility and dependence. And the sooner we walk in these truths the more and more like Christ we will become. I want to take a moment to remind us that humility, that is the opposite of pride, is not an activity. It is an attitude. It's not something we do. Just because you do that activity, just because you operate in that ministry or that service, or whatever, that does not denote humility. Humility is a state of the heart that then uh, is outworked in what we do. We can be proud and do the humblest of activities. Humility is not an activity, it is an attitude. True dependence comes from within. It is the decision of our will to walk in the ways of God and recognize that he is in charge and we are his servants. God is displeased with our independence. One of the great message titles I heard many years ago by an evangelist was the Declaration of Dependence. America has the Declaration of Independence, and we understand that in its civil aspect, but the Christian ought to have the Declaration of Dependence. Dependence. Dear Christian, may we learn the lesson of dependence quickly. May we sincerely place our lives in God's hands and trust him with our future rather than try to to pave our own way. In closing, I'd like to read the words of a poem from one of my heroes of the faith. His name is Charles Thomas Studd. 
He was a missionary to China, India and Africa. I have a photo of him in my office. And I appreciate this man and his life that was spent. It reminds me a lot of the Apostle Paul. And this is what he writes. Two little lines I heard one day, travelling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then, in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will cleave. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a brief few years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. O oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear, hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. And it was. Father, thank you for the reminders this morning from your word. What is your life? A vapour, a mist, appears for such a short time. We don't know about tomorrow. We presume upon your grace so often. Lord, I pray that this morning these few short thoughts that you have reminded me of this week and I have, as I have shared some of my heart with these, my people, I pray that they would see themselves the shortness and the brevity of life without having to experience uh, some sort of trial surrounding that uh, that would uh, cause them some grief. I pray that you would spare that, but that we would learn the lesson from your word, taking scripture for what it says, and that we would 
begin to practice the attitude of if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. We will make our plans in accordance with yours. We will bring you into every decision. We will pray and seek your face. We will affirm your sovereignty and our need for dependence moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. And Lord, it is possible that this group of people will never meet again. It is possible that some may perish in this week to come or loved ones that we know. And Lord, so we pray that you would give us the strength and the enablement to trust you in this life and that we would live in accordance with your will. Let us lay aside the things that so easily distract us and the sin which clings so closely that we would run our race with patience looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God above. Lord, help these realities to be true for us today, we pray. Thank you that your way is perfect, that you are with us, and that though we may not know the future, we trust in the one who holds it. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.